0: told them in the booth that I'm kind of, you know, I I don't want to just target like two verses and say this is it. I'm going to just go with what the Holy Spirit's kind of lead me in. I want to share with you just a personal testimony just real quickly. You know, last week I started what I said was at least a two-part message on marriage. And and so, and I preached about the, uh, about making Christ the center of your marriage. And you know, God's Word does not return void. Let me believe that today. I believe that. The promise is that if you sow it, God will water it and He'll add His increase. But also, there's something that I as a pastor search for in every message that I preach and it's what I call the tangible presence of God. I believe the anointing is tangible. You, it's discernible. You can see it by the eye of the Spirit. You can hear it by the ear of the Spirit and you can feel it when it's present. And I went back and uh, listened to that message, and I didn't find, it's the first time in a long, long time that I didn't find that tangible presence of God through that message, and, and that grieved my spirit, and it made me examine my own heart, because it's not like God would be unwilling to yield his anointing. There has to be something in the hindrance of the communicator that would hinder the anointing of God, and so I did what pastors know to do, and that is I went to the laver the scripture speaks about the labor where that reflection. And I went to look at my own self. And 2 Corinthians 13 says to examine yourself, to deal with personal issues in your heart. And, and also to know that the, the way and the mean and the method that I, that, I, that I ministered was a little bit outside of me and who I am personally. I just want you to know that I just have always had a little bit of an edge to my preaching and 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 you know the culture today sometimes it's not as embracing of preaching with the edge, but you know what that's just who I am, and and I've just kind of you know had to come to terms with that this week, and say and, and some of the the messages that I preach have a little bit of they're laced a little bit politically, and I try not to make this a political rally, right? We're I know we're inundated through uh, the the media. Uh, with political emphasis, and I'm not trying to create political divisions. But let me say this today as well: my entire life has been in two uh, particular career fields. I was in the military for nine years, and I've been in the ministry for 20 plus years. And you combine those two things together, and that is the the, the thing that pulsates in my heart. I'm deeply concerned about the things that happen in our uh, uh, our nation. I'm deeply concerned about our men and women that serve in the United States military. I have uh, a, a great reason to be, just like you do. I'm deeply appreciative for the freedoms that, that we enjoy as Americans because I believe that they were given to us by the sacrifice and many times the, the lives of the men and women that have served in our armed forces. All right, I believe that with all of my heart. And I, and I, I want to preach that with that in the back of my mind that, you know what, they provide freedoms for me. So that I can stand and preach my conscience, so that I can preach my convictions. You're not here because anybody made you unless you're a teenager or a child. And then I understand you either had to be made or paid to be here, so that's okay. However, you're here by your free choice. Something's compelled you to come to this house today. And there's something, and there's a way and the means that I want to minister this word today and and a little bit of it is i'm going to address certain political things that are happening even as i begin to narrow this into part 2 on marriage okay and i want to remind you just real quickly pastors are given the shortest window of any platform in america what I'm, what do you mean by that pastor We're in the shortest window of time you give me i guarantee you if you're on social media you are on social media more time-wise than you are sitting in this chair here in in, on this church building in this church building okay I, i guarantee you that if you follow the news then uh you watch the news far more than you come and sit in this seat and i know this without hesitation that if you watch sitcoms and televisions and movies because that's the platform Hollywood personalities have an unending platform that resounds 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And at, the, at, at your fingertips are multitudes of channels and resources that's filling our minds and our thoughts and adapting the way and uh, uh, causing us to think differently. And we come to church for a maximum of one to four hours a week. So we have us preachers have the shortest platform of time. To be able sometimes to counterbalance the things that you've been exposed to. And then we come, we've got the challenge because the culture today, if you say anything that is deemed anti, a particular angle that is held by so many in our culture, then we quickly get labels placed upon us that are intended to silence our voice. And so pastors have to find that delicate balance Addressing things biblically, speaking things with conviction, but doing so out of love. But see, I believe that the true When I speak the truth, I-, I believe that that is love, because only the truth can set someone free, right? And so you can live a contented life in sin and then be lost for all eternity. And if I have failed to expose to you the truth of the word of God, and I had an opportunity to do so, did I really show you love? So let me go today. Again, I'm going to put on here what I'm going to actually talk about today. And uh, this I'm going to get here, but it's going to take a, just a, a little bit. We're going to put this right here. Here's a word that is often uh, used in our culture today, affirming. <laughs> here we go. I'm feeling, Jesus, the sexuality... Now it's even getting better up in here. Come on, somebody. It's time to take up an offering right now through the marriage covenant. I thought, we'll just go right there. We added that. That was in my notes, but I don't go ahead and add it there. I'm going to add that. I like that even better. Our sound guys, they are doing a great job. And I'll explain this to you here in just a little while. I think it will help you. So would y'all pray with me right now, and let's just ask the Lord to help us, okay? Would y'all pray, y'all willing to do so? Father, we love you, and we come today with an expectation in our heart. And we come today to both learn, but we come to also to respond. We come to say, God, would you quicken things in us? Maybe things that we have heard previously, but at the same time, we need to be reminded of certain things. But for some, there can be something that reminds uh, that, that they learn for the very first time. And I pray today, God, in the name of Jesus, that your Holy Spirit would help us today to convey these truths. Father, I believe that i prepared my heart, and I believe that I've looked into the perfect law of liberty. And God, now I pray in the name of Jesus that the Spirit of God that revealed the truths to me and wrote them on the tablet of my heart will allow me to speak them with deep-seated conviction today, God. And let the people respond in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen and Amen. Now, I'm going to share with you the obvious. I'm going to state the obvious, and that the United States is no longer united, but we are certainly divided. You could call us the divided states, and that is the division in the American culture has never been greater than perhaps it is right now, perhaps that the only other time would be in that dark period dur- that led to the Civil War. And so, we find ourselves being torn and fragmented uh, as, a, as a culture and as a, as, a, as a nation, and you know it, I know it, we're not pretense. I'm not pretending this. This is not something conveyed only in the church. This is on media. Everybody's aware of it. One of the things that I began preaching many years ago when I was up at Shirley, anytime I preached a message that was addressed or a little bit, alluded to politically, I used to say this, and I want to say this again today. I said, I, I, I hang everything... On these two issues now you say pastor well there's a lot more than those two issues absolutely but these are the tipping point for me in my personal convictions and I've not wavered on those in these 30 plus years that I've been preaching these 20 plus years that I've been pastoring and the first of which is of the abortion issue now the abortion is a very difficult issue certainly because you're never never intended I don't know who comes to church every Sunday and I never want to highlight or hurt anybody personally and it's because I do believe that there's a pain that some person might live with at a later date in time in life if they had an abortion younger in life as if God's moving in their heart. And this is not to draw uh, that attention to that particular moment in your life, but this is a big deal in our American culture today. Come on now. And so we've seen this, and, and I've, ta- I've taken a stand. It was not that long ago that I stood on this platform, and I... And I I believe courageously exposed to you that I believe that that the modern practice of it is drawn from an ancient practice of child sacrifice. And I believe that I did a pretty fair and adequate job of expounding that so that I wasn't just, you know, uh, I use the term uneducated hillbilly, uh, you know, towards myself at times. But, but I, I brought some, I, I think I did it in a way that if you were open-minded at all, you could see what I was saying. You could understand that, Correct. Well, you know, uh, in doing so, we've seen this continue to mount. So I've not said anything at all about the things that happened recently in the great state of New York. Not said anything about that at all. Well, then that moved to the great state of Virginia. And so then the governor of Virginia took it to a whole new level because the governor of Virginia, which as the uh, 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 a senator or representative for Virginia was promoting what not only New York passed, which was abortion in late-term pregnancy, all the way to the point of dilation. So this is to the degree that a mother's body physically began to dilate, and that child is being ready to be delivered, that at that moment of time she could then still abort that baby. And that was passed by New York and was presented to Virginia but was, uh, not, uh, but was voted down. However, the governor of Virginia went farther than even these two, stances and said that that he believed it was acceptable to deliver the baby alive and then for the mother in consultation with her family to determine whether or not she wanted the baby to live or die okay so now now in saying all that so maybe maybe the squeaky voice preacher first from shirley and now from hebrew springs uh maybe there was a little bit of prophetic unction to it these last 20 plus 30 years now because when I, when, I, when I made that comparison, and I'm not trying to say, I mean, uh, thank God for people courageous enough to stand up and to reject this type of, uh, uh, you know, of legislation. And not only legislation, but ideology. Thank God. There was a newly elected senator in the state of Missouri that stood on the Senate floor and condemned the practice and used the terms that I used in explaining it in my message. Thank God God's got people to stand up. That are courageous, and we need to uphold them in prayer. Come on, somebody, amen. So, but now, then, this past week, this is the second. You know it. I know it. And it's homosexuality, and it, and 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 all that that encompasses, which is which is homosexual marriage, and the uh, and and the and the movement itself. Correct. Right, and because it, and that's what it is. And see, pastors have to be very, very careful because there's no way that I, do, I don't want to be seen as insensitive. I don't want to seem as homophobic. I don't want to be seen as somebody that has this edge on me because that's not the case. If you feel that way, you don't know me. Right? You don't know. But see, I have a heart. I have a heart to preach the truth. And I have to, I, hopefully the courage to address things that are happening around us because it's wrong when the church is silent. That's what the world wants. The world wants to intimidate us to the degree that we no longer have a voice. What good is a prophet without a voice? What good, come on somebody, is a pastor without a podium, without a platform, without an opportunity. Then all we are is a benevolent organization. That's all the culture wants us to be. All they want for us to do is to give our clothes and give our food and do those things. But they don't want to see because the people of this world are hid in darkness. And they're under the cloak of darkness because the Bible says they're under the sway of the enemy, the the evil one. But there's only one thing that can drive away the darkness. That's the light. Of the truth of the word of God and let me tell you who's got it It's not our government and it's not civic organizations But Jesus himself said that he would build His church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it And that's who you and I are we're the church We're the church of Jesus Christ now you and I know that these are the most divisive of all issues in the political arena today Right, I'm stating the obvious correct now, the reason why I wanted to address and kind of I'm leading you, and you say, Pastor, where are you going here? And so, well, stay with me. You know, sometimes you got to take the long way around, right? And so, but the reason why I wanted to address this, let's pick it up politically this week because we have a New Jersey senator by the name of Cory Booker, okay? And he's now running and I'm kind of riding at an angle right there. It's because I'm tall, not really, but... A New Jersey senator who was in, he was on a committee recently this past week, um, and he was screening a, a judge that President Trump had appointed. Now oftentimes all we see in the mainstream media is when it's a Supreme Court justice, but this is one of the lower courts that was appointed by President Trump. But Senator Cory Booker, he barraged the, uh, the, 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 just, the justice, because he wanted her to tell him whether or not she believed homosexuality to be immoral. That was his first word that he used. Is it immoral? Over and over again, he kept coming after and coming after her. Because remember what they did with Jesus? They kept wanting to catch Jesus in his words. That same spirit still at work today wanted to catch her in her words. And she did an outstanding job. Of reflecting it and deflecting it and addressing, saying her own personal views does not, uh, should not be an issue. It's whether or not she can interpret the law as it's written. That's the way, and she did a, an outstanding job. But before it was over, unfortunately, Corey went ahead and let out what he really wanted to say, and he wanted to know was it sin? There's the issue because if she had said, yes, I believe it's sin, then he would have deemed her unfit to sit on the bench and make judgment in our American culture today. And so let me tell you, that's why we as a church, you hear me say things, you've got to know what you believe and why you believe it. And you've got to be able to defend what you believe. Right, And you've got to be able to share these things because it's very, very important. And so maybe I was a little bit down on myself a little bit last week because I, wasn't, I was preaching just that middle of the way, kind of that soft message about marriage and keeping Jesus in the middle of your marriage. And, and it was good. That's all good, especially that part about when Adam woke up and said, whoa, man, come on, somebody. That's outstanding right there. I, I know that. Brilliant, brilliant is what that was. But at the same time, but that's not preaching with an edge. But see, you know what? Maybe the time doesn't demand soft preaching. Maybe the times doesn't demand that you come to a church and we make it so palatable for you that that, that you're you're not offended. But you know what? Sometimes the truth does offend. Sometimes the truth hurts, and and it it causes us to ask ourselves some questions. And so I believe there's a proper place for sexuality and and, and our, our sexual expression, and it's based upon a biblical conviction right? A biblical conviction. Let me take a moment and talk to you about Jesus for just a second. I believe that Jesus, and I'm going to go some, I'm going to get here in a few moments, but I'm going to take you on a journey first, because sexuality has been exploited in our American culture. You know it, I know it, not just through homosexuality, but through fornication, which I'll define that for you in just a moment. But let's go and see what Jesus said. Matthew chapter number 19, Jesus was asked a question about divorce, and I'm going to turn there in my Bible here, and that's why I think I may have gave them a few verses, but probably verses 4 through 6. So Jesus was asked a question, but let me talk to you about Jesus for just a moment. How many believe in Jesus? I do. I thank God for Jesus. And I also want to thank God for his teaching, though, but Jesus' teaching, let me tell you, was pinpointing uh, and was very directive. It was to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus was a Jew, and his teaching was uh, what, what was being derived from his belief in the Mosaic law, and the prophets, he himself confessed it, He validated it, and Jesus himself, and um, in, in, in doing so. He told his apostles after his death and resurrection, he said, I want you to go and teach all nations, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. And so Jesus was posed with the question about divorce, and that's not really our issue here today. But I want you to just kind of pick it up at verses 4, 5, and 6 because even, let me tell you this, I'm going I'm to show you something here in just a moment. But in this sense right here, here's Jesus because one of the main things that we talk about today is what's happening in that last issue, the homosexuality sexual issue and i'm saying that in the i i lack the words to say but that's the it's just an issue it's a movement it's a mindset of things that that we're confronted with i've never gone outside in the world to address this culturally i'm only addressing it in the safety and the sanctuary of this assembly right and so in in this particular moment real quickly um we saw a few years ago where marriage was extended to homosexuality where so the, the so the legal entity of the United States now sanctions marriage, but see but, but see how the the movement is not satisfied until the church sanctions it so it's a step. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a ladder. So once they conquer one level, there's a next. And so, so it's not satisfied. And, 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 and Shane mentioned it on Wednesday night. There's a major vote about to take place in the, I'll go ahead and say it, the Methodist church. Not the local Methodist church, but the worldwide Methodist movement that could fracture uh, that longstanding fellowship all over this particular issue but in matthew chapter number 19 if we'll look at what jesus said let's just read it just real quickly it says have you not read that's our problem well right there it is right there's our problem because we make assumptions and presumptions based upon cultural impulses rather than the word of god but if we're believers the only way that we even know about god is by the scriptures The only thing that we know doctrinally about the Word of God or about God Himself is what He's revealed and unveiled to us in the Word. So Jesus said, have you not read? Right there leans us in the right direction. That He which made them at the beginning, the created order of God, made them what? Come on, let's just put it on here. I know we want to talk about it. Made them male. Because I'm going to get to this in just a moment, but in order to get to this, we got to go through some of the cultural emphasis and, and address those just very quickly here today. God said, Jesus said, and reaffirming what the Scripture says in Genesis, in the beginning, God made them male and female, right there. And for this cause, man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. And so Jesus affirms, I can say this with the deepest conviction, Jesus affirmed the creative order uh, of, of the book of Genesis and established that as the basis for the marriage covenant. Pretty obvious to me, isn't it to you? But now listen, don't go home and Google search it. Because let me tell you, once you do, there will be a theologian somewhere or there will be a blogger somewhere that will take the literal interpretation of that passage of Scripture and they will so misalign it and malign it to the degree that it will be so distorted by the time it comes out it doesn't look anything like it's written. So I can promise, matter of fact, in my preparation for this message today and just saying, what did Jesus say about sexuality? typed that in, found this one site, thought, well, that looks pretty good. And by the end of it, the author of the particular article was saying that Jesus was in error, of course. That was what he plainly said, that, G- that we have to admit that Jesus was, was in error uh, in some of his teaching and that there was an evolution of Jesus' teaching, and that Jesus would have, uh, there's no record of him condemning the act of homosexuality in his gospel teachings, and that's true. And so, but the, the author said that Jesus himself would have condemned it because that was consistent with the Mosaic Law. But then he said this, but Jesus taught love and affirmation, and Jesus would have evolved in his teaching if he were alive today, and the author actually said that if Jesus said the greatest commandment of all was love, then Jesus would have affirmed a loving gay slash homosexual relationship. I, I didn't write this. I'm just relating to you the way that it was written. And even when it's far to say this, that he might even be asked to turn uh, water into wine at a gay marriage. So let me tell you, you got to be careful because when you Google search, you're going to find what you're looking for. Right, but see, what I don't, I I, have you not read, not have you not read what you gain when you Google search, but have you not read the scriptures? That's what Jesus said. Do you not know the Word of God? Matter of fact, in Mark 7, Jesus said that's where we err because we don't know the Word of God nor the power of God. And our culture doesn't want to know either. We don't want to know the Word, and we definitely don't want to know the power of God to convict and to change a life but i do and i hope you do as well now let's go are y'all with me out there in radio land let's go i know i'm on got you on a journey well you know you can't address the issue without going to the book of leviticus i know that is many of you your favorite book of the bible i oh, come on somebody i'm with you out there i, I believe in it because jesus is my priest <laughs> See, and that's why y'all don't know what I know, but see, I'll read the book of Leviticus with a, and get some good things out of it because Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter number 3, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, not just Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or while you're jumping all the way to the book of Revelation trying to find out the end of the world, I can get happy reading the book of Leviticus because I see Jesus in His priestly ministry right there. But in Leviticus chapter number 18, you say, well, now here's the old argument. The old argument, well, that's the law. And so we're not under the law. I know I absolutely recognize that principle uh, at the same time. But let me say this. Paul himself alluded to principles that were in the law. Jesus himself said, I didn't come to destroy the law. He said, matter of fact, anybody that takes away from it and doesn't put it in, I'm paraphrasing, in its right application... He said, it'd be better to put a millstone around that brother's neck because, he said, until heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or one tittle. Now, we understand that when Jesus cried out and said, it is finished, there was an accomplishment of certain things based upon the Mosaic law. But we also understand we can glean spiritual principles out of the law, can't we? So in Leviticus 18, the, uh, Moses here is giving Israel instruction about your sexuality. All the way back, even in the Mosaic Law. I mean, there's some things you need to know about in there. You need to know you need not be sleeping with uh, your sister. I mean, I know we would think that that ought to be obvious. Hello? Or your niece? Or your uncle? Or a dog? You would think that would be obvious, but Moses is about to send the people of Israel into a land where everything that you and I think of as detestable was being practiced and even being sanctioned religiously under the context of idolatry. It was. Now, I mean, well, you can go on down. It even warns us in the book of Leviticus, chapter number 20, not to be uh, romantically involved uh, with, your, uh, with your mother-in-law. <coughs> <coughs> Excuse excuse me, just a minute. It's hard to read some of this stuff. Just I need some water. So you got to glean. Well, he also addresses the difficult issue and the difficult subject of homosexuality right here in this passage of scripture. And if you take the time to read it. And and many of the times we don't. That's the 22nd verse of the 18th chapter. Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is abomination. It's just that simple. Even all the way back to learn the principle. Here's God saying in the word of God that this is not sanctioned. It's not sanctioned in the marriage covenant. But go down just a little bit farther. I'm not even drawing your full attention to that. I'm going to draw your attention to verses 24, 25, and 29. Defile not yourselves in any of these things. For in all these the nations are defiled which I cast out before you. And the land is defiled, therefore I do visit the iniquity thereof upon it. And the land itself vomiteth out her inhabitants. Look at the 29th verse for whosoever shall commit any of these abominations even the souls that commit them shall be cut off from among the people so there was a harsh judgment there was a, a, a recompense made through the mosaic law when you broke the scriptural pattern and for the sake of time we won't go into the 20th chapter but if you in your own time you can see God said cut off and there was a painful uh, there was a painful recompense for those that practice sexual what we would call sin in the uh, in the mosaic Law, So let's go back to Jesus for just a moment. Jesus was confronted with things that you and I would call sexual sin, wasn't he? The Bible tells us in one of the most famous of all passages in John chapter number 8, where a woman was caught in what? Right? Adultery. So, so we got adultery real quickly. How many of you know what adultery is? What is that? that would that be sexual experiences outside of marriage? Outside of marriage, correct? I mean, in the sense of that it's not your spouse and you are married, right? So, so I mean, it's, so I'm wrong on that. I mean, that's inside marriage. That's, that's on the inside of marriage, on the inside of marriage. And that is it's you are uh, engaged sexually with someone who is not your spouse and they're married or you're married. Then the most common term to, that describes what you and I know as uh, sexual promiscuity with fornication, Right? Fornication just means sex outside of marriage. So let me just put these up here so we just kind of have, have this down on. The, and you, when you search the Scriptures, it's pretty consistent all the way around as these issues are addressed. Well, they brought a woman that was caught in adultery to Jesus, and they cast her at Jesus' feet. And then they went back to the law. They went to Leviticus 20, and they said, Moses said in the law, we caught this woman in adultery. And the Moses said in the law that we're to stone her, but what do you say? Now, do you remember that famous passage in the Word of God? What did Jesus do? He heard the accusation, and then he stooped down in the dirt, and he wrote on the dirt. And then he raised himself back up, and he said those famous words. He that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone. And in doing so, there was a, call, there was a pause Men perhaps had stones in their hand to see if they could validate according to... They weren't going to stone that woman. They were wanting to catch Jesus in his words. That's all it was about. They weren't going to stone her. They wanted Jesus to say something that they could then put him on trial for speaking out against the the Mosaic law. Just like what we saw this week with Senator uh, Booker. So let me say this to go a little bit farther. Well, then they just stopped dropping those stones and walking away. And Jesus asked the woman. He said, woman, where are thine accusers? Has no man condemned thee? And she, you know, broken and torn and tattered and hurting and wounded, said, no man hath condemned me. Jesus did walk in love. Jesus believed that mercy triumphed over judgment. Thank God mercy triumphs over judgment. Because we were all sinners in need of a Savior. But then what's often omitted is John Chapter 8, verse 11, but go, (laughs) come on now, he did not fail to validate the action of adultery as sin, he just gave an alternative, come on, way to deal with it, and it was in forgiveness. Go and let my words produce a change in your life. You don't have to be an adulterer, right? You can be forgiven from adultery. You can be forgiven from fornication, and yes, you can be forgiven from homosexuality. Well, I'm preaching better than y'all are shouting in here today, because I thank God. Let me show you one more that's just very, very powerful here, just real quickly before I kind of turn and get it to the part where you're going, okay, now you're talking to me. I'm talking to you anyhow, because you need to know what you believe and why you believe it. You need to have a conviction based on the inside of you, because this subject's coming up. It's not just coming up in the voting booth. It's going to come up at your coffee table. It's going to come up on the bus ride. It's going to come up in the in the classroom. And I'm telling you, they're trying to back the church in a corner and silence our voice because it's a demonic stronghold that we're dealing with. We're not just dealing with the weakness of the human flesh. We're dealing with a demonic stronghold that's held people in bondage for thousands of years. And there's only one thing that can combat it. It's not the Supreme Court of the United States. It's not the Pallet Court. It's not anything. It's the Supreme Court of heaven that's already judged that the power of the gospel can change lives now and for all eternity and you and I cannot be ashamed of what we believe we hold the truth in love we don't rejoice in iniquity because love does not rejoice in iniquity but we rejoice in the truth I can celebrate anybody but I don't have to celebrate their sin I can celebrate you as an individual, my loved one, my friend, no matter whether you're an adulterer or a fornicator or an extortionist, no matter what, but I don't have to celebrate your sin. And I don't have to refrain from speaking the truth of love, to speaking the truth in love. So let's go just a little bit farther. And I want to go here just real quickly, and i got to watch time. Let's read one more verse of Scripture before I go to 1 Corinthians, and I'll close in 1 Corinthians. Y'all are all right out there i'm feeling jesus in here today hebrews chapter 13 i know dylan and julie said in a very precarious place on the front row because the preacher's known to spit i didn't mean to but i I don't spit like the old time preachers that had that white thing going on in their mouth right there you know (laughs) if i do then somebody please tell me to wipe my mouth Marriage. Look at this. It's Hebrews. Let me. Can I raise for just a moment, real quick? Are y'all with me out there? Tom, I didn't go to all this. I'm not saying we're under the law. I'm saying the principle. We learn from the law. We learn from it. You got to go back and read that on your own. And you got to. You got to talk about some of those things. I'll, I'll leave adultery and fornication there because I'm going to talk about that for just a moment. Now let's go to Hebrews, chapter number thirteen, verse number four. This is a very famous verse to us in the context of the sexuality within the marriage covenant because i'm gonna start narrowing this to you in just a moment and make this worth something positive i'm in a marriage two-part marriage series but i've gone the long way around to get here hebrews 13 and 4 says marriage is honorable in all and the bed is undefiled did y'all see that marriage is honorable in all and the bed is undefiled but whoremongers what is the word whoremonger it's actually the same word right here as fornicators that's a word we i know that's language because i'm a king james english person y'all don't use that term that much today but it simply means fornication sex outside of marriage and adulterers who's going to judge now there will come a day that we re- we reap what we sow right and there will come a day when god who is the judge will judge all men paul himself said That we will stand before God, we will give account of ourselves for the things done in this body, good or bad. How many of you believe that? All men, I believe that. I believe that that there will come a final resurrection day when all men will stand before God and give account of himself before God. God will judge. God will judge. Now, we don't judge in the sense, uh, we still judge righteously, we don't judge condemningly. There's a misconception about don't judge, but did you know that's the only verse of scripture most people know? It's this thou shalt not judge. That matter of fact, that's their favorite verse. Because that's their way of saying, Don't help me through this sinful situation because I like it. It feels good, tastes good, smells good. I've adapted to it. It's my partner. Right? It's it's my buddy. It's kind of like Wilson in the castaway movie. Come on, somebody, it's our Wilson. And, and we've grown fond of it. And we don't want you coming along uh, talking about the issues of our, of our life. Well, listen, God loves you enough. God loves you enough that he won't leave you in your sin because sin is destructive. Sin is destructive to you, your family. The enemy gets a stronghold in your life when you have open transgression against God. Did y'all hear that? Let me go a little bit farther. How many of you know we don't wrestle with flesh and blood? Our enemies are not men and women in the flesh, but we're wrestling with principalities and powers. And when you and I openly transgress against the revealed will of God, the enemy comes in and he gets a stronghold in our life. And his intent, John 10 and 10, is to kill, steal, and to destroy. But Jesus said, but I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. I thank God today that we have the power to cast down our adversary in our own lives. But sometimes it takes repentance before God. Right, It takes humbling ourselves before God and saying, God, help me dislodge this stronghold that's been in my life. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed is undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers, the Bible plainly says, God will judge. That's a conviction for us all to wrestle out. That means that God can bless the sexual communion that we have in marriage. But God deals with this area. And so this is not to condemn anyone. This is to enlighten everyone. Did y'all hear that? This is not to condemn you. This is to enlighten you, to lead you to a place of genuine repentance, that you can change your heart, your mind, your life, and you can repent before God, and you can find the most gracious thing that man can ever obtain in this life. It's called forgiveness, and it's called redemption, and it can make you a new creation in Christ Jesus. I want to jump very quickly to 1 Corinthians for just a moment. We're going to go in 5, 6, and 7. And you say, oh, Lord, Jesus. We're actually going to conclude in verses 1 through 5. We're not going to read chapters 5, 6, and 7. But let me tell you about what I want to close with here before I turn it to this more personal side of marriage in here today. I have to address this. I have, because the world wants you and I, the culture wants you and I, to extend the same covenant blessing to hetero to homosexual marriage as we do to heterosexual marriage. Did y'all hear that? That's what the culture... See, so if you're in the military today, it wasn't that long ago that a military chaplain was brought up on charges because he excluded himself from a marriage conference that his chaplaincy was hosting because they had to offer all equal uh, opportunity for the homosexual couples as the heterosexual couples so the homos, so the the chaplain the army chaplain is a southern baptist he's bound to his denominational belief system and he cannot participate in that type of conference so he willfully removed himself he shunned no one turned no one away He simply put everything in place and then himself backed away and gave someone else whose denomination allowed them to go ahead and do that, that opportunity. But that was not enough. And so he was brought up on charges. And his distinguished 19 year military career is hanging in the precarious balance because of the way that he responded to that situation. So don't tell me it doesn't matter. Don't tell me that we're not going to deal with it. We are going to deal with it. And the world is backing the church up in a corner, silencing our voice to the issue, saying we don't love people that are caught in in sexual sin. And that's not the case. We love them because we want them set free. We love you if you're in sexual sin today. And I'll show you why we have a deep-seated conviction of this here today. 1 Corinthians 5, we're not reading it. Let me just tell you about it. Paul addresses sexual sin in marriage. Oh, no, no excuse me, wrong word. Sexual sin, I, I, I got to put it this way, sexual sin in the church. Did you know there's sexual sin in the church? Sexual sin. Paul addressed it, and this was a real tough one. This is one that would, uh, you could take, trace it right back to Leviticus. He said that a man would have his father's wife, that meant his stepmother, right? They were involved in a sexual sin, and somebody was still leading the choir, and somebody was still a deacon, and they weren't, the church wasn't dealing with it. Paul said, that's not right, right? Did you hear what I said? Paul said, we got to address this, so take the time to read this on your own. And so Paul addresses it in the Word of God. Look at the 8th verse for just a moment, real quickly. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness. We're not hateful and wicked, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Because we speak the truth doesn't mean we have malice in our heart. doesn't mean that we're wicked or hateful. It's just simply because we're obeying the revealed Word of God. And we want to walk in the truth of God. I love God. I want my life to reflect His will for my life. And I want my life to bring Him glory. And I want your life to bring God glory. Let me just tell you something about God today. He's the potter and you're the clay. Nothing that man can ever do will be able to dispose God of his throne. We can form doctrines and we can form religions and we can announce that God is dead or God has never been existing, and God is not winking at us. He's not moved. He's not gotten nervous. He's not going, oh my God. He's not up there in heaven fretting. God established his will and his will will be done. There will come a day when Jesus Christ will rule the nations with a rod of iron. All things will be brought subjected to he, come on somebody, who subjected everything to Christ Jesus. All things will be. And God's not moved by the frivolous things that we see happening in the American culture today. So Paul said, address the issue. There's sexual sin in the church. Then, that's in chapter five, right? Read that later. You got to read it because it's building to where I'm going to close. And that's the sexuality within the covenant of marriage. Then he addressed sexual sin outside the church. In the sixth chapter. I do want to allude to a verse of scripture there. Because he said this Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not, ninth verse of the sixth chapter, read it with me. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate nor abusers of themselves with mankind. What is that? What is effeminate and abusers of themselves with mankind? You look it up in the original language. It means male prostitution and also homosexuality. It does. Those of you that say, well, it's not in the Bible. Well, it's in the Bible. It's addressed by the Apostle Paul directly by his pen. He addresses it. And he said, don't be deceived. And he said, Well, say, well, Pastor, but it also says thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, or extortioners. How come you're not preaching about that? Well, because there's not a movement of thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, or, or extortioners asking me to bless their lifestyle. Right? So that's why I'm having to deal with the things in the ninth verse rather than the tenth verse. But here's why we have compassion it's those five verses before the colon in the eleventh verse. This is why we're moved in our conviction. And such were some of you. We're not here to judge anybody in an in a, a, a unrighteous judgment because we know about sin because we were sinners we were we were fornicators, adulterers and homosexuals and idolaters and everything but look at what he said in the 11th verse. He said this, he said, but now you're washed, you're sanctified and you're justified in the name of the Lord even by the spirit of God. You know why we can speak it with such boldness and authority? Cuz we know the power of change. We know the power of redemption. We know what it's like to head hang our head in shame and in sorrow with a sinful heart only to have it washed away in one glorious moment. Where the blood of Jesus didn't just wash away uh, at the cross but it washed away the sin of our heart and made us new in Jesus we know what it's like and we got a joy in our heart of sharing his grace and his love and God loves you and if you're in the bondage of sexual sin let me tell you come out in Jesus name experience his love and his grace make decisions for your good And the good of yourself and your family. Now I got to close. You say, affirming sexuality within the marriage covenant. Chapter seven, we're going to close on these final five verses. This is where I do need to take up an offering. (laughs) Thank you. One lonesome riot back there from Brother Randy. Verse one Now concerning the things whereof you wrote it to me, is it good for a man not to touch a woman? So in essence, it's good not to get married. Paul says, nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife. Now, those of you that may struggle with this about whether we should affirm homosexual marriage, let's read verse number two real quickly. Let's read it one more time. Let every man have his own. Are y'all, would y'all read that with me one more time? Let every man have his own what? Wife. And let every woman have her own husband so that affirms what jesus taught which affirms the created order, right so paul's about to address sexuality but where is he going to address it in the marriage covenant and i'm going to show you that today because we've been afraid to talk about sex in the church we have but let me tell you i remember a message years ago by john Hagee. He says, sex is a good thing. Every one of you are here because of it. <laughs> so there's a lot of wisdom that you get at the church, too. So that's, that's, that's San Antonio preaching sex education in the church. Look at the fourth verse. Third verse. The hus- let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife hath not power over her own body, but the husband, and likewise also the husband hath not power over his own body, but the wife. So in these two verses here, the apostle is exhorting that when you enter into the covenant of marriage, Paul said, it's better to marry than to burn with lust. Every one of us have sexual desires that God's placed within us. And if you cannot contain in a celibate singlehood, then you are to marry. Right. If you cannot contain, that's what he said. If we put that in its context, then let's tie that to Hebrews 13 and 4. In marriage, marriage is honorable, and all the bed is what undefiled when it is a sanctioned marriage in the eyes of God. Then the bed is undefiled. So there's a place that God has for all of us that, uh, as individuals, to uh, satisfy the sexual desire within us, and that's in the covenant of marriage right now you say pastor brown you're teaching on marriage here today and we've got a mixed age here today absolutely i know y'all don't know how hard it is for me to have to address these things i'll tap out if y'all want to talk about it but i won't take over i have to address these things to the young and to the old right i these are these are things that that we have to address and talk about because i believe that the communion of marriage is heightened by the uh the affirmation of our sexuality in marriage and i know that sometimes there are physical limitations especially sometimes as people age and we're not going to turn this into joke center central we're not doing that here today right and so i understand all of that but i want you to know that God had a very special purpose that goes beyond just procreation, through the communion of marriage and through the expression of our sexuality, that can only be met in your spouse. And Paul said in the third and the fourth verse, he said, "Don't defraud one another." Now you can see that I am closing right now, right? And so, but it's the fifth verse, though that I saw something years ago that so illuminated this thing about the sexuality in my relationship with my spouse and I can give you know you, if you're here today you know how secret or how private pastor brown is on these things joe's been with me for 12 13 years and I can guarantee you there's never a time that he could point to where I jokingly referred to mine and cherry's sexual relationship it's private and we keep it private it belongs to just us two. Sherry's probably so nervous she is out in the foyer right now, <laughs> right there. Because I don't play around with these things. I can give you, I, you come to me privately, I could share with you things I've learned after 32 years. Right? I, I will if you want me to. But I usually don't make it transparent. There's some things I'm transparent about and some things I'm very reserved on and won't open up and talk about publicly except for in generalities. But I want to talk about this issue a little bit more deeply. So he said, he said don't hold it back. Don't hold back. And, and, and you have to read that in the right way. Don't, don't read that in an abusive way. Don't read that in, in a way that your spouse is nothing but a sex object to you. I mean, I probably felt that way at times from Sherry, but that's okay. But never mind. No, I'm just teasing there. Y'all, right there. So I only said that just to lighten this moment here just real quickly. Because it's going to get real personal in here in just a second. And I want you to see this real quick. He said, defraud ye not one another except it be with consent for what? For a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer. And notice these words right here. And come together again right there. You said, Pastor Brown, what, what in the world? Let me, what, does, what does that mean? What, what is that? What, let me, let, let's close with this. I want to affirm sexuality within the marriage covenant. Can I do that in closing here today? I hope y'all are with me out there. Come together again, what Paul said. Come together. So, obviously, the context is come together means re-engage in a sexual experience with your spouse, only having withheld sexual Expression as a couple for the purpose of fasting and prayer, respecting that in a spouse, right? Male or female, correct? Right, that's the, that's the obvious text there. But then he used the term come together. And I saw that one time. I said, where have I seen that at before? And I found it in the 11th chapter of the same book. So chapter 11 of this same book. And I found this come together talking about the meetings of the church right here meetings for the purpose of communion and i started looking into that very deeply and all of a sudden i saw a spiritual truth and i wasn't the only one i found out there were other people that had seen this spiritual truth together but i haven't talked i think i've shared it one time in 15 years as the pastor of this assembly and i want to share it with you again This word come together in the original language is the same word that's speaking to the church about when we come together to break the bread and the cup, the cup and the bread of communion when we come together. Remember what Jesus said. He said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Does anybody remember that? How many of you say that your relationship with God is deepened when you partake of communion? Let me believe that. Say, so any anytime that you've ever come to church and you've taken that broken body and you've been reminded of what he did for you on the cross, and every time that you took that cup, you're reminded that that was the new covenant in his blood and that you were in covenant with God through your union that you have with Jesus Christ. And oh, how it's deepened your relationship, hasn't it? And it makes you worship God and thank God for your love that you have for, your, for, for the Father through Jesus Christ. Well, let me tell you real quick about why we call this a marriage covenant. Did you know, just real quickly, some of you will know this, others will not, the word covenant means to cut. That's the, what it means to cut. And that in the original design of God, when God intended for marriage to be between two virgins, that when the male made penetration into the vaginal lining of the woman, which is called the hymen, that it would break. And when it broke, It would release blood over the male sexual organ, thereby forming, I feel Jesus right there. I do every time I think about it, a blood covenant. This is why Adam said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. Man shall leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, for two shall be one flesh. God's design for marriage was that the covenant was cut on the marriage bed, and it brought the husband and wife into one person in that moment of time. That singular moment, two became one. And when I went back and I saw this, And I made a connection to this. Every time a husband and wife come together again, they're reminding themselves that they're in covenant with each other. Do y'all feel that here today as a husband and as a wife? It's not just to satisfy sexual desire. It's not just to feel good. It's to put you in that emotional moment where your heart is knit to your spouse and where your spouse's heart is knit to yours and you're able to cling to your spouse and you're able to preserve your sexuality for the singular purpose of in covenant marriage that's the only place that it's to be satisfied in the eyes of god does that make sense here today somebody exchange would y'all move that out of the way for me real quickly Today, and I'm going to close. Somebody's clock has ticked, and so that says pastor's got to finish. Thank you. It's a delicate subject. But I believe in the covenant of marriage today, church family. And Let me say this as I prepare to close. Here, Daryl, you join me on the platform up there. Thank you if you would just real quickly. There's a reason why we can't bless we can't bless that, the other that's being put pressure on us, marriage. It's because it can't be defined as a covenant marriage. Cannot. It can't be sanctioned in the eyes of God. It can be sanctioned in the eyes of men. But it cannot be sanctioned in the eyes of God because it's outside of God's original creative order that he blessed. Hebrews 13 and 4 says marriage is honorable in all and the bed is undefiled but sexual sinners will eventually be judged so today i came to this platform to get here in the sense of the reason why i feel like i have to speak these things is because let me say this closing this message out today i want to reaffirm marriage it's not just me trying to speak out against sinfulness in in our culture it's about reaffirming what's right in the sight of God. I want you to have the healthiest. I want you to be whole in your communion with God and with the communion that you have with your spouse. I want to, are, are y'all hearing me today right now? It's right o'clock at 12. I know that, but I probably preached a long time. But it dims in comparison to what you will be inundated with this week on social media. And what you will be inundated with will contradict everything that you just heard preached. In a 50-minute setting right here at First Assembly. Did y'all know that? The culture will not validate what I just taught. But I want to remind you today what Jesus said. Have you not read? Have you not read? Our basis of belief is the Word of God. That's where we base our entire belief system on. Your love for your spouse. It should be motivated by your revelation of truth in the Word of God. Your communion that you have for your spouse. And my desire for you and your family is that if you're a married man, woman here today, that if you're still sexually active health-wise in your marriage, that God blesses that union to unite your heart together with your spouse. If you're not married and you're sexually active, deal with that. Deal with that. Be repentant before God. If you can get married, if you're, if you're in a relationship and, that, that, and you believe that's your spouse, well, then come in and talk to us. We'll, me and Joe, we'll help you. We'll walk you through the process. We'll, we'll make it easy for you because we want you to have a clear conviction. We want you to live your life with your head held high and be able to say, and such were some of you. But now I'm washed. Now I'm sanctified. Now I'm justified in the name of the Lord. You can get up out of the bed that's undefiled after a moment of sexual union with your spouse and your heart won't smite you. Come on, somebody. Your heart won't smite you. You'll be able to say, thank God for my spouse that my heart is knit to my spouse. But you can't do that in fornication. And you can't do that in adultery. And you can't do that in homosexuality. But you can in a God-sanctioned, marriage. Would y'all stand up with me today? It's hard to preach about this, church family.